COVID-19 just accelerated this entire space by 10 years, right? And so all of this was happening. We knew the system was broken, but this is just accelerating all those problems. So I think education post-COVID, I've already touched on it quite a bit, but the, the biggest things are going to be, again, reassessing the value of a college education. So going into apprenticeships, going to project-based work. The other thing that we're going to just see a ton of are people really needing to go back into some sort of learning or training program or upskilling themselves afterwards. What's up, everybody? My name is Ish, and I'm the founder of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss the future of higher education, including online trade schools, boot camps, ISAs, and so much more. This week's conversation was with Ryan Laverty of Arist. We start off talking about the founding story of Arist, but we then quickly move on to just theorizing about what the future of higher education could look like. This was just such a blast. I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, everyone. My name is Ish, a founder and CEO of Virtually, and I'm joined by Ryan Laverty, the COO of Arist. Ryan, would you be able to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Yeah, thanks so much. Just thanks so much for having me. So like I said, my name is Ryan. I am the co-founder and COO of Arist. And uh, just a quick, I guess, context, Arist is a text message learning platform. So what that means is we work with teachers and trainers to create, deploy, and assess text message learning, which are courses delivered over SMS, WhatsApp, or Facebook Messenger, all on learners' phones. Yeah, totally. And actually, the first time I heard about you guys, uh, you, one of my friends who's really big into the e-course world, he's a course creator himself, messaged me and he said, this is so cool. You have to check this out. Given that virtually, and we're kind of in a similar space, but we're tackling the problem from a different angle. So I wanted to bring you on and kind of talk about a few different things, online courses, higher education, and COVID-19, because obviously that's have happening like a huge impact on how learning is happening outside of campuses. And so would love, love your insight there. And before we talk about Arist, I, I, I love to construct a timeline for the audience. So to start us off, could you share the story of the founding of Arist? Yeah, sure thing. So Arist was founded, I guess a quick back and by the way, so I graduated from college about seven or eight days ago. And so a lot of Arist was kind of built as we were, were going through college. So, so the, the genesis of it was really about two years ago. So my co-founder, Michael, was working with students in um, a war zone in Yemen, doing through a nonprofit he was running at the time, some different forms of education. And he came back from winter break after my sophomore year of college, and he was talking to me about it. And I had actually just come back from doing some work in Tanzania. So as part of a school program, I did entrepreneurship education for a few weeks there in, in a small village there. And we were both kind of obsessed by this idea of like, you know, it, it kind of sucks that we go into these communities, we teach them something, and then we just have to leave. There's, there's no follow-up, there's no other tools. And at the time, you know, online learning like MOOCs and video courses were being sold as this way to like democratize access to education around the world. But the reality was that 25% of the world actually had the broadband internet to access an online course and about 70% had the um, you know, bandwidth or the ability to access either SMS or WhatsApp. And so for us, we kind of became very obsessed with this idea of how do we construct a learning model that's not too short form, that someone can actually learn something of substance through text message. So we became obsessed by that idea. And then over the next sort of year, year and a half, we developed different learning models, talked to experts, developed a white paper. And it started out as, you know, let's see if we can, it was more like a nonprofit, let's see if we can help people abroad. What we found that was fascinating is we were getting just as many users from places in India and sub-Saharan Africa as we were Fortune 500 companies 
different enterprises looking to train workforces in mass in the US. And so we had a huge sort of audience and we tried to figure out kind of how to, how to meet everyone with this new tool. And so we ended up building a platform that allowed anyone, any company, any teacher, any organization to go in to build coursework and then to deploy it to students, employees, refugees. And then over the course of two years, we created a model now where we'll actually have a nonprofit foundation that can subsidize to the original uh, vision of the business different organizations that can't afford it. That's totally fascinating. And it seems like you guys have two very different uh, customer segments. How, I guess, does that affect your product building? How are you essentially building tools that are able to work for these two wildly different communities? Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was one thing we were really interested in, in the beginning is like, let's not try to boil the ocean here. Let's really focus in on who we can do the best for the most people. But what we found is that, you know, we focused for a long time on just building for enterprise. And so the tool has everything because that's what we needed to fund the business. And so the tool has everything from, from single sign-on capabilities to GDPR compliance and all the things that organizations need. But the other thing we found is that you know, most of these organizations were asking for about 90% of the same features. They want the ability to build and deploy text courses. They want to assess learners with analytics. They might need different depths of those analytics, but for pretty much every person, they need to know, A, how do I teach people best and how do people learn best through text message? And B, how do I assess and control all of that and use those insights to better deliver learning? So if you think about a lot of the learning marketplaces or learning platforms that are out there, they serve a wide range of users, but the actual product is doing most of the same things. And so a lot of how we think about product architecture is really how do we build for, you know, the ideal user to just take and receive and enjoy a text message course. And we've found whether that's a company doing compliance training or a nonprofit organization doing COVID-19 health training, it's pretty much the same tool usage. The difference is in the sales process and in the partnerships and relationships and those sorts of things. Yeah, totally. And real quick, I want to take a step back. So you and your co-founder have come back from these overseas trips. You discover this huge problem, this kind of access to education. And you find this really interesting market, which is education delivered through SMS. And so I imagine you guys go, you, you build out a product. Once you've actually done that, how do you get the word out? What, did it, it sounds like this was like immediate product market fit. Did it feel like that at the time? Not necessarily. And I even think for now, you know, we know we've got demand, but even fitting that with the market, it, it's always a bit different. So I, I guess give some other background here. So my co-founder and I, both of us are not technical. Our original product was we found some website where we could go plug in text messages, plug in phone numbers, and then just manually, like every day we would just go sit down. We were piloting with like 200 people. We'd go and sit down and just press enter, copy in the tech, you know. So it was a, a very, very like, I, I don't want to call it a minimum viable product because it was not viable by any by any means, but it, it tested the psychology around, do I want to get a text every day that teaches me something? Do I like that experience? So we found that enough people were liking that, but then we went and I brought in a friend of mine who's a software engineer and we built out you know, the first version of the platform. What I think is really interesting kind of to your original question is we were focused heavily on on enterprise, on partnerships and those sorts of things. And only as of kind of coronavirus happening, and I'll, I'll get into more of this later, but we switched our approach to more self-service, to more individual creators. And so that's kind of changed everything as well. So we're almost learning a lot of these things again, as we you know take everything with a different approach. Yeah, totally. And now kind of switching gears, I wanna talk about higher education. That's been a topic on a lot of people's minds because, because of COVID-19, it's just so rapidly evolving. 
And one of the things that's always struck me really interesting about higher education is that this idea that you have this four-year degree, you know, you go through college, you pick up skills, and then you're off to the workforce, and you're, you're pretty much told that, like, that is it for education. And that, that can't be true, right? I mean, like, if you look at the statistics, only 27% of college graduates actually land a job that's even related to their major. And on top of that, throughout their career, they'll switch careers between five and seven times. And so the role that they are currently doing probably has nothing to do with the skills they acquired in college. And so I've always found how important it is to always be upskilling and retraining. And right now in industry, the only way to really do that is it's all self-paced learning, like reading books, online courses, and online courses seemed like uh, recently we had an episode where we talked about the history of online courses. And one of the interesting moments in Online courses happened after the financial crisis in 2008 when this, this idea of MOOCs emerged and they were thought to be the saving grace for higher education and online education, but it, it didn't seem to pan out. MOOCs, same with like traditional online courses, have this problem with just like typically very low engagement, like generally completion rates 6% to 13%. So when you guys launch your platform, do you guys see a similar problem in terms of engagement? Yeah, so we actually, this was a big thing that we built for from the beginning when we were designing the model itself. And so I, just to, to take a step back, with, with MOOCs, with online courses, think about what you're actually asking the user to go do. You're asking them to go sit in front of a computer to watch videos for you know 30 to 50 hours. And because it's self-paced, all the discipline of actually going and taking that course relies on them. And that's really, really hard. Because if you think about school, if there was no pressure to go to class every day, if there were no exams or tests, would, if, if students were just handed a giant thing at the beginning of the year that said, all this learning is up to you, how far would they actually make it through in the first few weeks? There's, there's no way, right? And so something we were very adamant about from the beginning was building in both low barriers or no barriers to engagement. So you don't have to log in when you receive each next day. They're all auto-pushed and to build in automatic coursework. And so every day at the same time, the way the courses work, the same time you select, every day you'll get that text message course. So you have those 24 hours to complete that next bite of learning. Now, of course, people will miss a day or two, and they might on day five respond to days four and five and, and kind of do both the learnings that way. But for the average person, if you're getting the text every day, even if you fall a day or two behind, you can they'll come back in and they'll they'll engage again. Versus if we just said, hey, here's your first you know lesson, just keep doing every lesson and texting next, most people would fall out. And that's not a problem with online education. That's a problem with the way that we've structured online education, which is entirely self-paced. Everything from going to the gym to learning a new skill it's hard, it's uncomfortable, you need accountability, you need partners, you need systems in place that make that happen. And online learning and MOOCs don't really have that right now. Yeah, and then so how did you guys bake that fundamentally into your guys' product? Yeah, so every time someone signs up for a text message course, they'll select a time when they want to get it every day. So for me, I know that I actually, in, in the old world, would commute to work every day at a certain time. And so I'd get my texts on those days. And while I was sitting on the train, I would go and take my coursework. Now it's before bed every day, but I know what time I'm free every day. I select that time and then that's all I have to do. All the rest of the learning is pushed to me. When I get that message, I just have to text back to it. And so the ease of texting back, 95% of people read a text message in three minutes of getting it. So the ease of me see, the chance I see it, the ease of texting back and the fact that it's auto pushed to me is what creates a much higher engagement rate and retention rate. Yeah, totally. And one of the things I really was blown away with your guys' platform is ultimately the engagement that you guys boast on, on your website. So would you be able to share with the audience what is the completion rate for your guys' SMS-based courses? Yeah, so we've seen completion rates. It depends a lot on content, but they've gone up to 95% in a lot of cases. 
I mean, again, the reason for that is because think about what we're asking the end user. We're saying, hey, this will take five to 10 minutes a day. We need you to text something back. And reading a text message and responding is far easier than logging into something, replying to it. Of course, those completion rates will, will vary widely by a subject someone's interested in, whether or not they want to learn in the first place. But if it's something you want to learn uh, apples to apples compared to a MOOC and you sign up with the same context of this subject's interesting, I want to learn more, the chance you'll complete it is nearly 100%, which is, is nearly unparalleled. Yeah, that is absolutely mind-blowing because I haven't seen numbers like that anywhere else in the online course world. That's really astounding. And then also one question I had is that, you know, being SMS, it kind of limits, you know, the kinds of material that you're able to teach just because you don't have the visual component, you don't have the audio component. So what types of content lend themselves well to SMS based courses? Yeah, so we actually say SMS just because it's a common term, everyone understands it, but we technically send MMS uh, messages. And mm -hmm. so you can include images or media files, or you can link to articles or outside sources. We tell people don't link to too much. The chance someone clicks on a link is like 10 to 15%. But, but when we were designing those models, we looked at a lot of the models that microlearning apps used because a lot of the content of microlearning apps is built to be high engagement. You'll ask for, you'll do review days, you'll ask quick questions. But a lot of the way that it meets learners, you know, 30% of corporate employees will actually download an internal microlearning app are much, much lower. And so for us, when we were designing all this learning, you know, we, we really tried to think about what's the best kind of, of methods to engage people. And content-wise, it, it's more about breadth than depth, obviously. And it's a lot more about not really content subjects, but what types of, of teachings you're trying to do. So there's three main types. The first is getting a knowledge retention or understanding of a subject. And so if I want to teach you the basics of investing, terms 101, by the end you can open a bank account, manage your credit card, then I'll probably define a lot of key terms for you, send some videos, and there's a lot of things where you can just answer multiple choice questions, and that will tell me if you followed along. Second, the habit building course. I want you to go to the gym more to be more mindful. Those courses will be about 25 to 30 days in length. They're shorter form, and they give you exercises every day. And I'll measure completion by asking you to text back how you're feeling, surveying you if you took the exercise. And the third is a skill development. So that's something like leadership or public speaking. Typically, that involves a lot of exercises and components that are out of text. And so I'll ask you to pair up with a partner and text back how you did on certain exercises. Um, and for those, you know, those courses are also longer and they rely on the text being what nudges you to go practice something rather than just all the information sitting within 1200 characters. Awesome. And are there specific trends you guys are seeing that I guess uh, types of courses that creators tend to be building on top of Arist? Yep. So the most common types of courses are all the things that students really aren't taught in school. So financial literacy, blockchain, design thinking, human-centered design is one of our biggest courses, intro to sales, intro to leadership. And that was mind-blowing for us because here's all these subjects that I personally never learned in high school, right? Most students, most students don't learn how to manage their finances in high school, but all of the courses that we're seeing are built around those subjects and people have built them in a few days. And so it's such a huge piece that's missing and yet it's what everyone drives to. It's like, we all know we need this content, but it's not sitting in a traditional education. Yeah, totally. And that really resonated with me and kind of struck a chord just because I guess all the things that students weren't taught, you know, I think that that is a really important point because I, I know me personally, I graduated with my bachelor's and master's in computer science from the University of Michigan. And I went to go work as a software engineer at Facebook and I was at Facebook for about a year and a half. And I, I had to really reflect and think about, okay, what percent of the knowledge I learned at Michigan really translated to me being successful as a software engineer at Facebook, it prob I'd probably have to say less than 1%. And 
which is really astounding considering how much I spent on that education. Most of my education came from YouTube videos, from going to hackathons, engaging with, with the community. And so something that's been really on my mind recently is this idea of, I guess, credentials within, of college professors. And are they the right people to provide job training? Because one of the one of the things that I don't know if you noticed at your school is that a lot of colleges will be teaching the same material. They have the same classes from the last 25, 30 years, and the curriculum doesn't change much. But because of technology and the internet, industries are evolving rapidly. And I'm curious, you know, do you feel that like college professors, often they're not people who've touched industry, or if they have, it's been so long that it, some of those, a lot of those skills aren't relevant anymore. Do you feel like college professors are the right ones to be teaching us the skills that set up a, set us up for a job training, for to be successful in the workplace? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, again, and I'll preface this with we're, of course, speaking in averages. I've had some amazing professors. I've had professors who were definitely a bit more out of touch, but I think that in general, the university model was designed over 100 years ago for, I won't even use the term academics, like theoretical thinking, discussion-based, right? If you want to go for philosophy or psychology, um, it's still one of the best places to go. But the problem we're facing now is a lot more of this, the job training we need is just very pragmatic. Software engineering, computer science is, is one of the most glaring examples. That's why we're seeing models like Lambda School pop up, right? So we've got all of these students who need really pragmatic skills, but they're being taught by people who are just in their nature it's meant to be teaching in more of a theoretical context. And so the problem is actually that we've taken teaching that's designed around theoretical context and applied it to all these students who need pragmatic skills today, right? It, it, think about a college environment. The, the average person who should be teaching as a software engineer is not someone who is really like a theorist on computer science. It's someone who's worked engineering, who's a product manager, and who of course has the pedagogical skills to teach a classroom full of students. And your projects in those, you shouldn't learn about the theory of computer science. You, you're, you, know, you should be forced to, if you're a software engineer, build products. If you're a business student, start businesses, right? And actually go through sort of the, the motions in that education. And so I think education is moving from a place where we've got professors teaching theory into you know, moderators allowing students to learn in structured environments, building things of their own that are more project-based. Totally, and, and do you feel like this is the reason why online courses have really emerged because generally what I've observed, the people who are creating online courses, they're not theoretical, they're not academics, they are industry experts who've learned something and they want to teach practical skills to people who are interested in breaking into those industries. Yeah, and I, I think those people are sometimes the best ones to do it. I will say, to be fair to academics, that we need you know, academics, we need theorists because they're going to do research in those fields. But it seems like a lot of time they're the ones who are driving certain fields forward, but not other ones. You know, in every one of these situations, you can ask yourself, who's the ideal person to teach me this? And if you filter by everyone who has teaching ability, who's a good, you know, pedagogical teacher, right? Then you can say, okay, the person who's at the forefront of the industry is probably the best prep person. And in something like philosophy or in law, those people are probably already in the academic institutions. But in something like software engineering, the people who are at the forefront of building the products of tomorrow. By nature, they're not in the classroom. They're working at some large company, they're running a division somewhere, right? And so I think we've all gone to online courses because that's where we've just met those people. But those industry experts, for any pragmatic industry, they are the ideal ones, absolutely. 
Yeah, totally. And I have a theory of, I guess, how the future's a little bit... I, this is something I think about a lot, and this is a topic we talk a lot about on this podcast. And it's this idea of privatized education where you're totally right. Like, we need researchers, we need academics, and universities are the place to train those future researchers and academics to help make those breakthroughs that we need. But still, to this day, the number one reason people come to college is for job training. And it seems like now there's this trend towards privatization where people are turning to online courses for that education that they're missing in college. And so more and more, I don't think we're going to be learning. We're not going to be getting job training from universities. I don't think we're going to be getting it from professors. We're going to be getting it through, I think, apprenticeships, through online courses, through these these trade schools that are emerging, like you mentioned, Lambda School, FlockJ, App Academy, there's so many of them right now. Because right now, the ROI just seems so much better. They, you, can, you can take these online trade schools, you can graduate within six to nine months. They're completely risk-free if you use the ISA model, and they tend to be remote. And so this is a future that I think we were headed towards, but I think COVID-19 has gr- greatly accelerated it because of the unemployment rate, and people need better tra- job training now more than ever. Thoughts, thoughts on all of that. Yeah, 100%. And I will add, you know, the, the one thing we haven't talked about is in this new world of online courses of apprenticeships, right, there comes this old question of the top reason most people will go to college is for social reasons, for networks. I personally, it's hard to speak in hypotheticals because I ran an entrepreneurship community at my school. I met my co-founders at that school, right? I learned a lot of fundamental entrepreneurial skills at that school. But at the same time, for the average person, college most likely is not worth it. And so I think in this new world of getting all of our training through apprenticeships and online education, it will serve us a lot better because when we go to apply for jobs, we've got a lot of experience, but students will then look to fill a gap somewhere. And that gap is what we define as the college experience. It's not really defined by learning. It's defined by networking, by social experiences, right? Going to parties, meeting friends. Those are the reasons that people go to college. And those are the things that online education hasn't really figured out how to supplement yet or how to replace yet, right? And so I think in parallel with all of these online communities, all these apprenticeships, will also see these other communities like different accelerators or different programs or fellowships pop up because people are going to have this glaring gap in their lives when they're 18, 19, 20 years old of who do I go be social with? Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I had a blast in college and, you know, I made some friendships for life. And that's, you know, that that is definitely a big argument uh, for in favor of university and colleges. Uh, The only question that comes up is, is it worth the price tag? Like for me, I, I graduated a full year early from Michigan. I did my undergrad in three years, still walked away with nearly $200,000 of debt. And so if I had to really think about it, like, was that network worth nearly $200,000 given that, you know, my network of working at Facebook, my network from extracurricular hobbies and activities and these other fellowships that I've joined since graduating, those have been equally powerful. So it's, it's, interest, it's an interesting argument i i think people will have to decide for themselves is the roi there i would just add yeah and i'll just add very quickly you know i agree with you i don't like for me especially too right college was was really fun but was not worth that massive price tag and i think we'll see models like accelerators like lem school model where they've had success where in that apprenticeship there will be a need for those social structures you know maybe college campuses will be repurposed as literal places for apprenticeships to happen right and that's where a lot of that social aspect will take place that would be amazing and honestly i i hope we start to see more and more of those emerge especially considering that probably like, it could be close to like 40 or 50 percent of u.s colleges that close for COVID 19 may not open and that's absolutely devastating but 
instead maybe what'll emerge are these these kind of new new world campuses that are more focused on job trading and industry experience almost kind of like you know you still live with other college-age students but there's very less there's a smaller emphasis on the theoretical knowledge and more on on practical knowledge and so maybe it's all wrapped around a co-op and you're working maybe you know 10 20 hours a week and then 10 out 20 hours a week you're doing specifically classes and training and networking with other students i think that sounds like a really awesome future anyway we've talked a lot about my my i guess views on what the future of education is going to look like post covid-19 but i would love to hear your thoughts what what are the trends you've observed and what do you think is fundamentally going to be different in like the next 5 to 10 years yeah definitely something you said earlier that i completely agree with is None of these trends are brand new. COVID-19 just accelerated this entire space by 10 years, right? And so all of this was happening. We knew the system was broken, but this is just accelerating a lot of those problems. So I think education post-COVID, I've already touched on it quite a bit, but the, the biggest things are going to be, again, reassessing the value of a college education. So going into apprenticeships, going to project-based work. The other thing that we're going to just see a ton of are people really needing to go back into some sort of learning or training program or upskilling themselves afterwards. And so in addition to, everyone is looking at education and COVID-19 and saying, what's gonna happen with universities, right? What nobody's talking about is the fact that this has given companies like Walmart, like Amazon, an excuse to replace employees and automate the hell out of everything they're doing. I was in, I was in a Walmart last week and there was all self-checkout. And Walmart wouldn't have done that last year because it was, it, they would have had to fire a bunch of people, it would have been terrible, right? But it is more efficient for them. And so the most common jobs in America are things like, you know, driving a truck, are things like being a retail worker, being a waitress at a, at a, a restaurant, right? So all of the jobs that are most common in the US, there's about, I think, 20 million of them, are also most prepped to be automated away in the next 10, 15 years. And so, and because of coronavirus in the next three to five years. And so we've got all these people who are losing their jobs and who don't duly have the skills. And so we're going to see a ton of institutions like Lambda School, for example, that are built for retraining, reskilling and upskilling these people because you've got this huge labor force of completely capable people who don't have the technical knowledge. The other thing I think that we've realized a lot in, all, in this whole period is that the world now changes far more rapidly than our education structures are ever built to adapt, both on it, within, within a college, right, the fact that content has to go through all these approval processes, it takes years to build a new course, and that's not gonna work. The other side of that is that someone who graduates different academic structures where I go to school for maybe a year or two when I'm fresh out of high school, I go and work for a few years, I'll go back in in five years to learn new skills, I'll go back, and so we'll see, learning will become much more of a pattern than a one-time occurrence that we just do in our lives. Yeah, no, totally, and I, I, I've been such a big fan of Lambda School, uh, and for those that, don't know a lambda school is is essentially it's a nine month program where people uh, can completely online study computer science doesn't matter where they are in their career and at the end of it they don't have to pay a single cent unless they land a job that pays them fifty thousand dollars or more specifically in software engineering that industry and they pay back the institution by just sharing a percentage of their income uh, using something called an income share agreement and we're actually such big fans of lambda school that we built our company all around it so virtually essentially what we do is we build the infrastructure for anybody to build essentially a lambda school for x business right so if you want to create an online boot camp or career accelerator we're trying to build the infrastructure so people can easily set that up because like we've talked about we really think that job retraining is going to be a big trend in the future. I don't, I, again, I don't think like education is like a one-time moment. You do this at the start of your career, never again. I think it needs to be iterative. 
Because again, you're going to be changing roles. You're going to be doing different things. You're going you're gonna to get bored of your industry and you're going to want to try something new. And there needs to be a way to do that with, without going back into school and being the 40-year-old in a freshman lecture hall, right? It just it doesn't seem like that's something that's working right now. Anyway, with that, I did kind of want to, a couple last items I wanted to cover was specifically COVID-19 and its effect on your business. How has Aris been affected because of COVID-19? Yes, like I said before, it was it really just caused a big shift for us. And so we were primarily focused a lot on enterprise conversations back in the beginning of this year. We had raised money based on enterprise conversations. We had late stage pilots going. We had all these contracts, these huge contracts that we were so excited. They were supposed to close like end of March, mid-April with some of the top companies in the world. And someone came and threw a wrench in the works, right? Come, come early March, in the same week we were kicked off our college campuses. We were, some of the people we were working with, mainly in L&D, right? It's a discretionary expense for a lot of businesses. It's an extra expense. They, they spend it when they're doing well, they cut it when they're not. People we were working with were fired. Budgets that were once two, $3 million a year suddenly came down to zero. And so we all just kind of sat in a team meeting in my dorm room that was mostly packed up after two days and was like, what are we gonna do? You know what I mean? And we said, okay, we've got something that can help people learn remotely. There's some sort of an angle here, right? And so where we had previously been focused on a lot of enterprise, those conversations are still open, but they were delayed six to nine months. You know, we changed a lot of the platform so that the, the actual platform itself, the interface is pretty similar, but you could go and spin up your own classroom and start creating learning on your own. And then we, you know, ran a bunch of ads on that to teachers, to individual creators, the type who are on, like Teachable or Udemy. And so in the first, in March, we saw you know, probably in, in March, we had to give you an idea originally, I think it was like two, 300 people. And then in April, it was like 1200. And then this month, it'll be like 2500. And so we we're seeing a bunch of people come on who were interested in building courses, or taking courses, because they needed some way to train students remotely. And a lot of our focus actually shifted from enterprise to both creators, but also educators. So of course, everyone's leaving school, you need to reach students remotely. What most people don't realize is that in some low-income areas, up to 60 to 70% of students don't have a consistent internet access. And so I talk to teachers every day who are like, you know, most of my students can't actually finish their learning. In Massachusetts, there's an archaic law that's basically you can't deliver online grading or anything that's going to be graded online and, and solely online because you can't guarantee every student has internet. And the problem there isn't even with the law, it's the fact that every student doesn't have internet, right? We need systems and ways to reach people who have no internet access. And so we, until September, have made our platform completely free for educators and anyone part of a, a T1 uh, school system or T1 school system. And so we've been able to help a lot of them with kind of adapting their online learning to this whole mess that's going on. Congratulations. That seems like a really awesome, I guess, one, adaptation from your guys' side and progress. It sounds amazing. And I, I, I really see this being very useful for a lot of people, one for I guess all the all the online educators, course creators who wanted new channels to reach their audience, and now that remote learning is more important than ever, they can use a tool like this. But then also all the people who are home during this quarantine and this, you know lockdown, it, it it's an opportunity to upskill. You know, if if it's somebody who's out of work, maybe this this provides them the job training or education to start exploring new industries, and so that that is really awesome. With that, I think we are right at time. So with that, Ryan, do you want to give, I guess, any last minute plugs? How can people learn more about Arist and, and yourself as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to create or help creating online learning, just head to arist.co. That's A-R-I-S-T.co. You can spin up your own classroom in 30 seconds. If you have questions for me, need content help, or just want to chat, I'm just Ryan at arist.co. And the last thing I'll say too is that, you know, especially to anyone listening internationally, this is a big problem in the US. It's even larger problem. We've had people from all over the world reach out. They can't reach their students at all. There's no internet in entire villages and communities. If that sounds like you, definitely go on our website, click on our For Good page, and let us know how we can help. Yeah, totally. Awesome, Ryan. Thanks so much for coming on. This was a blast. Awesome. Thanks so much. I had fun too. And that was Ryan Laverty of Arist. If you're interested in learning more about Arist, go out over to arist.co. And if you're interested in learning more about virtually or want to start your own online school or academy, go on over to tryvirtually.com. You can check out what we're building over there. With that, this is Ish signing off. 